The information provided herein is for training and educational purposes only and is not for solicitation. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Johnson Wealth and Income Management and Sound Income Strategies, LLC are not associated entities. Welcome to the Capitalized Life and Retirement Program, brought to you by the Retirement Income Store and Matthew Johnson, owner of Johnson Wealth and Income Management and author of The Capitalized Life. Are you living the life you want? Are you as prepared for retirement as you believe you should be? What are your goals for retirement and how are you going to reach them? In the next 30 minutes of today's program, let's explore the principles necessary to live the capitalized life and the retirement of your dreams. And welcome to today's broadcast of The Capitalized Life. I'm Matthew Johnson, president and owner of Johnson Wealth and Income Management. Hope you're having a wonderful day. So, you know, the purpose of the Capitalized Life and Retirement Show is basically to have a discussion with you from week to week and just kind of help you explore different facets of saving successfully for retirement. And we're all in the same boat. We all want to be successful. We all want to make certain that we get to retirement and we can flourish in retirement. We can have a good time and enjoy the things that we've always aspired and hoped to do in retirement. But every once in a while, there's some things that are a part of our life that can make those dreams and aspirations a little bit more challenging. One of the questions that I get quite often is about fees and business models. And so I thought today would be a good time to kind of explore this. When it comes to fees, we have to be very, very careful because, of course, we know that ultimately we're the ones that are having to pay the fees. And fees come in very different forms and they come in different forms for a reason. It's all based upon the business model. And so the first fee that we're going to be discussing is that of commissions. And I want it to be understood that this isn't to put down one particular business model or anything of that nature, but rather just to help you understand potentially some nuances to the financial services industry. So commissions are something that you pay And we will just use the model of a broker. So stockbrokers are called stockbrokers for a reason. They sell stocks. And when you buy a particular position or when you buy, say, a mutual fund or an index fund, there's typically a commission that's going to go along with that. And you may end up investing $100,000, but only seeing $95,000 show up in the account. And the reason is pretty simple. It's because you paid the commission and that came out of your investment. Now, commissions can obviously vary as well, and we have to be careful if there's you know, three different mutual funds that are all doing about the same thing. You know, Maybe you're wanting to invest in artificial intelligence. So there's mutual fund A, mutual fund B, and mutual fund C, and every single one of them pays a different commission. One pays a 3% commission, one pays a 4% commission, one pays a 5% commission. Well, which one do you think is probably going to be pushed the hardest? Now, that's not necessarily true in every circumstance. There's plenty of good brokers out there that try very diligently not to douse their client with commissions. But nevertheless, as an investor, you always want to be asking how much commission you're going to be paying. And if the commission is the same across the board with all the different products that you might be interested in investing in. Number two, you want to also kind of keep in mind, depending upon what you're investing in, if it's just a stock, you're probably going to pay just a one-time 
commission. However, when it comes to, say, mutual funds, there is potentially three, if not four different types of things that you can be paying as far as fees. So the first obvious one is the commission that you pay right up front to buy the mutual fund, if there is one. Then there's going to be 12B1 fees. And 12B1 fees are essentially like a renewal commission. And that renewal commission is paid to the broker for you keeping that particular mutual fund. Now, when a broker sells a mutual fund, just to kind of give you the lay of the land, really that commission is being paid directly to that broker. And whether that mutual fund does well or not is really kind of irrelevant. The broker's been paid and he moves on with life or she moves on with life. They've been paid, but they're not necessarily really managing it. They are the ones that facilitated the sale or the purchase of that particular fund. And so then what you come to with inside the mutual fund is something called an expense ratio or an expense fee. And the expense fee exists because you're essentially paying a fund manager to manage the holdings of that mutual fund, whether they buy, whether they sell, whether they hold. And so you're paying an expense fee as well as the commission and the renewal commission. Number four could be something that is referred to as the drag cost. And drag costs, it's kind of unclear. There's some funds that do not have drag costs, some that do. But essentially, a drag cost is like an advertising fee. You're essentially paying a fee inside your mutual fund that is going to then be used and paid directly to the fund company so that they can advertise their products. Now, why is all this important? It's important because fees are always going to be lessening the amount of return. So if you're depositing 100000 of course, you don't get 100000 going into the investment. You might only get, say, 95000 So you've just taken a cut right there. Number two, of course, you know, paying a fee of any kind always comes at a cost and you're the one that pays it. And you realize that they get paid before you get paid. Questions about today's discussion? You have questions that you want to have answered with regards to something that we discussed. I'm going to encourage you, do the right thing and reach out to me at 866-290-3837. My team will put together some materials for you that I know will be of value and we'll email them to you or we'll toss them in the mail if you prefer. If you have questions, I will do my very best to spend a few moments to answer those questions for you. So take the first step. Reach out to us at 866-290-3837. That's 866-290-3837. Now, that brings us to another product entirely, and that's the product of annuities. You've probably seen his face on all sorts of different financial websites, even on YouTube, but guy by the name of Ken Fisher. He always has this look on his face and he says, I hate annuities and you should too. Well, the big thing is, is that the word annuities is a pretty big word. It's very broad. It's very general in nature. And there's many different types of annuities that exist. And it's true. We've got some good, we've got some bad, and we've got some really, really ugly. But one of the annuity contracts that exist in the world today are called variable annuities. And this is in particular the type of annuity contract that Ken Fisher hates. Now, I'm not going to use the word hate, but I will say that they're very distasteful to many investors once they really understand and realize the amount of fees that they're paying inside the variable annuity. So brokers typically will drink a lot of Kool-Aid, a lot of 
media and a lot of advertising comes down to them. And of course, the companies that sell these variable annuities, they want to write as many of them as possible. And so they kind of pitch the broker or the financial advisor on the idea that the variable annuity is the very best of both worlds. Why, if the stock market goes up, you know, the mutual funds inside this variable annuity are likely to do very, very well. And if the stock market doesn't do well, well, we've got you covered because we've got all sorts of guarantees inside the variable annuity. Now, as with most things, we have to be really careful about the details of a variable annuity. But I'm going to give you a small list of the fees that exist within most variable annuities. The first is called the mortality and expense fee. And the mortality and expense fee, or sometimes referred to as the M&E charge, is basically a fee that is being paid directly to the insurance company for the death benefit. So let's just pretend for a moment that you had deposited $100,000 into a variable annuity, and the stocks did very, very, very well, and it went from, say, $100,000 to $120,000. And then all of a sudden, the stocks didn't do well at all, and it went from $120,000 down to $80,000. Well, if you cashed out your variable annuity in that particular scenario, you wouldn't be receiving $100,000. You wouldn't get your money back. You certainly wouldn't be getting $120,000 because, well, the stocks had lost value. You're going to be getting the eighty. But the problem now becomes that you ended up taking and paying this mortality and expense fee. So why do they call it an M&E or a mortality and expense fee? Well, let's just say that you didn't cash it out. Let's say that you died in that, for instance. Your beneficiaries would not be receiving 80. That's what you get if you cash it out because that's what your stocks are worth. What your loved ones would receive or your beneficiaries would be the 120000 because this is what is referred to as a high watermark. So the second fee that exists within a variable annuity is called the subaccount fee. Now, remember, variable annuities are called variable for a reason. They can lose value. The performance is going to vary from month to month, year to year. And so, remember, they're investing in mutual funds and they have to charge you. Well, they don't have to, but they choose to. They choose to charge you a subaccount fee, which is a fee that you're paying for having the mutual funds inside the variable annuity. The third set of fees that exist within a variable annuity, and yes, there's typically three sets of fees, is going to then be what is referred to as the rider fees. And we have to be very, very careful because variable annuity contracts, they differ from company to company, but they have all sorts of whiz-bang gadgets that they can add on to a variable annuity. But remember that they all come at a cost. And so the rider charges could be something like an enhanced death benefit rider. It could be a lifetime income benefit rider. Well, here's the thing. We've got to be very, very careful of all these fees because, you see, you're going to be paying these fees every single year as you own the variable annuity. And not only that, but these fees add up. And unfortunately, I'd love to say that I can't say this, but I have to say this, that it is nothing for a person to have a variable annuity. And when they make a phone call into their company and they say, So tell me, what is my mortality and expense fee? What is my sub-account fee? What is my rider costs? That they find out that they're paying three, three and a quarter, three and a half, sometimes in excess of 4% per year. That's pretty expensive. In fact, it's about four times what professionally, institutionally managed money does as far as cost. 
And not only that, but it is very corrosive because you see, let's just think about you going down the road. You're about to retire. You finally retire and you need income because Social Security isn't enough. And so you begin to draw income off from this variable annuity. Well, if you're paying them, say, four and they're paying you five, well, that's a 9% withdrawal rate. Now, I know we haven't talked about withdrawal rates and what a safe withdrawal rate is, but under normal circumstances, you don't want to take any more than, say, 35 to 4% as a withdrawal rate from your portfolio, depending upon how you're invested. Otherwise, you run the risk of running out of money. So what does that mean? It means to the variable annuity holder that if you're taking out money and you're paying them almost as much as you're paying yourself, that it is a very, very small chance that the inside of your variable annuity, that that cash is going to last because there's too much of a withdrawal rate that is going on from year to year. So if you're thinking, yeah, that makes sense, or you have questions about our discussion today, I'd like you to reach out to me at 866-290-3837. My team will put together some educational materials that I know will be of value And we'll email them to you or we'll throw them in the mail to you if you prefer. If you have questions, we will answer them. So take the first step. Reach out at 866-290-3837. That's 866-290-3837. Well, we're coming up on our first break. And so I want you to stick with me. There's so much more to be learned with regards to fees and business models. You stick with it and we'll come and wrap this up at the very end. Thanks so much. Do you understand the difference between investing for growth and investing for income? That's okay. Most folks don't. Investing for growth is your typical Wall Street portfolio full of stocks and mutual funds. The problem is, in order to physically obtain any real money that you can use for your day-to-day expenses, you have to sell them which means you don't own them anymore. So now you have either far less to generate that growth, or worse yet, you don't have anything left to create more growth for next month's expenses. On the other side of the coin, when you invest for income, your hard-earned retirement dollars are invested in products that may provide steady, predictable cash put directly into your bank account month after month to help provide for your retirement. For your free, no-obligation, growth versus income information kit, call 866-290-3837 to learn how to transform from your high-risk, big-fee Wall Street growth portfolio into a steady, predictable, income-generating retirement plan. Call 866-290-3837. That's 866 866- 290-3837 or visit johnsonwim.com that's johnsonwim.com do you remember the greek story of sisyphus he was the king forced to continually roll an immense boulder up a hill only for it to roll back down every time it neared the top baby boomers you know this story all too well it's called investing in the stock market Call now for a free, no-obligation, retirement income kit packed full of easy-to-understand information designed to help you create and maintain steady, predictable retirement income that can never be lost in the market. Call today. 
866-290-3837 or download it now johnsonwim.com you've worked too long and too hard to keep wasting your time with that stock market boulder so call right now 866-290-3837 or visit johnsonwim.com And welcome back to The Capitalized Life and Retirement. I'm your host, Matthew Johnson, President and Owner of Johnson Wealth and Income Management. Thank you for sticking around, or if you've just joined us, we've been discussing today fees and business models within the financial services industry. We started out talking about commissions, but then we started talking about how not only is there commissions, there's also fees. And mutual funds can be full of fees. They can have 12B1 fees and expense fees and drag costs. But then we kind of got into a particular type of an investment called a variable annuity. And variable annuities are typically laden with fees. And fees are important because, number one, you pay the fee. And number two, the fee plus what you withdraw someday from your investment is going to be an additional drag or it's going to be an additional expense. And so what that means is that your money is not likely to last as long as you think it's going to last you. So variable annuities, they have the mortality and expense fee, which is kind of the insurance that they wrap around the investments or the mutual funds typically that exist within a variable annuity. There's the subaccount fee. The subaccount fee is the fee that you're paying for having the mutual funds inside that variable annuity. And then you have rider costs. And as I said before the break, it is nothing to see a person paying three and a quarter, three and a half, even above 4%, which is just atrocious to an insurance company for a variable annuity. And the reason that they can get by with it is because they're really basically saying this is the best of both worlds. This is a bunch of mutual funds. We're going to wrap it up in an insurance wrapper. And it really is. It's the dream come true. The problem really begins to form, though, once you're on the distribution phase of your life. Once you've retired and you now need income to augment your social security, your rental income, your pension, if you have a variable annuity, you must be very, very careful because you're going to continue to pay those fees even when you're on the distribution phase of your life and you're taking withdrawals. And so what that means is that it is not likely that the stock mutual funds inside the variable annuity are going to be able to keep up with that withdrawal rate especially if you're anything above, say, 5 to 5.5%. And those fees are going to be cannibalizing your own investment inside. Now, it is true that sometimes the riders within these variable annuities can create an income that will last you the rest of your life. But you can do that for 1% in a fixed annuity, so a fourth of the cost, or even less. And so you really need to be careful with regards to variable annuities because it's like having another adopted child. You wanted something that was safe, something that was going to be doing for you what you needed it to do in retirement. And instead, you were being basically sold a two-seat sports car that was jerry-rigged with a bunch of other things that came at an extra cost to you. Now, when it comes to business models, this is one of the biggest questions as a financial advisor that I get from day-to-day. And that is, what is your business model? Well, there's really three different segments within the financial services industry that an investor needs to be aware of. And the first is going to be the stock broker. 
And the stockbroker is basically going to be working off from a commissionable model. And they're going to be charging either commissions or they're going to be charging management fees, depending upon how they have created their business model and how they work. So those commissions are things that you're going to be paying. And when you're working with a commissionable broker, you must understand that person is probably not a bad person. They do want the very best for you, but they're also going to be likely selling you products that have the best commission that they possibly can get. And commissions, in my personal opinion, have always been, and I think you'll agree, a bit of a conflict of interest. Because if there is, you know, three different types of products and they all have different commissions, they're likely to push the one that has the greatest amount of commission because that's what's most beneficial for them. The second thing is going to be the insurance agent only or the insurance agent that might have the designation where he can sell mutual funds. Now, sometimes we see this within the captive agent world. So potentially you are an insurance agent, you're licensed, maybe you've got a little bit of a designation like a series six where you can sell mutual funds. And so what you do is you will basically sell life insurance and you'll sell maybe some annuities, but then you'll also sell mutual funds. And we have to be very careful of captive agents in the sense that we must understand this business model is going to force them in such a way where they have to decide which hat are they going to wear that particular day. You see, when you work for a captive agent company, you basically get to sell what they have to sell. And so you don't have the freedom and the flexibility to be independent and to use what's in the client's best interest. You only get to use what's in the client's best interest based upon what that particular company is offering their brokers or their insurance agents for sale. So if you're thinking, you know, that really does make sense, or if you have questions about today's discussion, I'm going to encourage you to reach out to me. Call our office at 866-290-3837. My staff will put together some educational materials that I know will be of value to you, and we'll email them to you or we'll mail them if you prefer. If you have questions, we will do our best to answer them for you. Take the first step. Reach out at 866-290-3837. Again, that's 866-290-3837. With that, would then bring you to the third category, and that's going to be that of the fiduciary. And I get this question a lot because I am a fiduciary. So a fiduciary is basically someone who is held to a higher regulatory standard. And the responsibility of a fiduciary is to do for the client what is in the client's best interest, not that of the firm's. Now, we'd all like to think that the insurance agent that we work with or the broker that we work with or the financial advisor or the brokerage firm, that they all have a fiduciary responsibility. And from a technical standpoint, they actually do. From a moral and ethical standpoint, they do. But the business model doesn't necessarily always allow for that. In fact, love him or hate him, when President Barack Obama was in office, President Barack Obama tried passing what was called the fiduciary rule. And the fiduciary rule was basically something that was going to be sweeping regulatory change for the financial services industry. And it was basically to hold all financial services individuals to a higher standard that they would have to do for the client what was in the client's best interest, and that they could not charge outrageous fees with all sorts of embedded costs and so on and so forth. It turned out that a very small organization, fraternal organization, organization, 
It's an insurance company that is very tightly affiliated with a church, ended up taking and suing the head of the Department of Labor. And basically, the fiduciary rule got stopped. It just died right there. The implementation of the law died. And it was very, very interesting because as a financial services person, I really expected some of the big companies like Merrill Lynch and Wells Fargo and Morgan Stanley to be the ones that came against the fiduciary rule the biggest or the most, but it turned out to be a little insurance company that ended up killing it. And so we have to be very, very careful of the business model of the financial advisor that we're using and that we're working with. Now, with that being said, it is also important to understand that under most business models of a fiduciary, they are doing professionally, institutionally managed money. What that means is that they basically have a model in which we are investing the money and we are managing the money in those investments for the client. And when you think about it, most of those are fee-based accounts. So if the fiduciary is charging a very conservative fee, we'll just say, you know, 1%, something of that nature. When the account grows, so does the money that goes to the advisor because he's now getting 1% of a larger account balance. Conversely, when the account shrinks, well, now that financial advisor is receiving a cut in pay. And so you see a fee-based fiduciary is basically aligning their goals with your goals. And that means that if you grow, they grow. And if you shrink, they shrink. And so there's always the incentive for that advisor to do well for you. Now, with that being said, we also know that it comes in many different forms. Is the financial advisor you're seeking to work with, are they super, super aggressive? Do they believe in growth and performance? What is their business model? You know, your needs have changed since you were working. And one of the things that really becomes evident to me as a financial advisor is that you spend 20, 25, 30, 35 years working and the model of growth really did work for you because you were dollar cost averaging, you were putting money into your 401k or into your savings. But once you've reached that summit, once you've reached that point in your life where now you're going to be taking and reaching the distribution phase of your life or entering that phase of your life where you're going to be taking income, it is so important to consider the business model of the advisor that you're working with. Because if you're seeking income, but you're still working with an advisor that is under the accumulation model, in other words, they're still trying to put points on the board, what they are really asking you to do is potentially put your go-go years and your retirement on hold if a major stock market correction occurs. Not only that, but a broker who is trying to create income when their business model is really growth, they have no choice other than to begin selling shares every single month in order to get you the income that you need. And though that may feel okay while the stock market's up, consider what starts to happen if the stock market starts to flutter and it starts to go into a third major correction. And have we seen major corrections? You bet we have. At the turn of the century after the dot-com bubble occurred, we know that the stock market, the S&P, lost over half. We know that in 2007 to 2009, the stock market lost over 60%. That's six zero. So how would you feel having only 40% of your portfolio left over and still needing income? 
So you see, not only do you need to be aware of fees, not only do you need to be aware of the type of business model that you're working with as far as a financial advisor, you also need to know what their area is. Is it principal safety with income being created through interest and dividends? Or is it simply trying to put points on the board? Well, I will hearken back to Coach Bear Bryant. Coach Bear Bryant said that offense, it sells tickets, but defense, defense wins championships. So I hope I've given you a bit of food for thought today and helped you better understand and explore business models within the financial services industry. Do the right thing and reach out to me at 866-290-3837. My team will put together some materials for you that I know will be of value and we'll email them to you or we'll toss them in the mail if you prefer. If you have questions, I will do my very best to spend a few moments to answer those questions for you. So take the first step. Reach out to us at 866-290-3837. That's 866-290-3837. I am your host, Matthew Johnson. So pleased to be with you today. You have a great day. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Capitalized Life and Retirement Program with Matthew Johnson. Brought to you by the Retirement Income Store. To schedule 15 minutes with Matthew, call 866-290-3837. That's 866-290-3837. Or visit johnsonwim.com. That's johnsonwim.com. 